Good morning. I'd like to invite you in for some thoughts on practice. While I have tried to sketch some of the bigger picture last night uh, and its various uh, the various phases, I understand the Buddha to mean when he speaks of mind cultivation. I would like to zoom in this morning, um, go much closer to one little aspect. Um, As you're highly aware, the crucial ingredient in both inside practice and practice of stilling the mind is sati, is mindfulness, as the felicitous coinage uh, sounds like for that complicated Pali notion in English, mindfulness, the full presence of mind. A beautiful term which has come to be very meaningful for many of us. And that mindfulness consists of a variety of little aspects which the images I think speak of I have referred to the other day. Stillness, the capacity to follow something, to not drift away. Uh, Polite and yet courageous quality of inquiry. A spacious allowing openness. discernment that is in there, a discernment that is not judging, but yet still quite capable of understanding differences. And there are maybe a few more. If we look at attention from a Western psychological point of view, then since about the 12th century, we have a distinction between voluntary attention and involuntary attention. This involuntary attention is inbuilt. It is a developmental feature of our mind. It is basically made to survive under conditions that are less than optimal. And our Vigilance, as the psychologist would call this aspect of attention, our vigilance makes it possible that if uh, this isn't a Kinjano speaking with his calm voice, but a saber-toothed tiger jumping out of the cupboard, you probably will know what to do. Yeah, you will go through a series of deeply ingrained self-protective steps that are either successful, and you'll be out here and the hungry saber-toothed tiger, or you will not be successful. And a happy saber-toothed tiger is probably not so much left of you. But it's not something you train. It's not something you have much conscious choice about. So Buddhist psychology has never really uh, dabbled with that type of attention very much. It is an attention that when there are no saber-toothed tigers around to threaten our life, usually seeks comfort and pleasure. So the natural 
tendency of that involuntary attention is pleasure-seeking, safety-seeking, and uh, stability-creating. Yeah. Most of the time, and since saber-toothed tigers are not much of an issue these days, uh, this involuntary type of attention helps us survive in everyday situations. It helps us taking care of unforeseen situations. It protects us. It makes us aware of sudden things, of new things. And we're also an easy victim of those attentional patterns. Everything that is new seems to be easier to get our attention. Everything that is loud, everything that is sudden, everything that is unforeseen will get that type of attention. It's necessary, and yet it, if, if it is on idle, so to say, that type of attention simply goes to things that it pleases, are pleasing. Yeah. So if we don't train our attention, if we don't train our mind, our involuntary attention will simply go to the nice things and want to have more nice things, want to have variation in nice things, and it will generally go to the strongest sensory impingement going. Yeah? You go into a room and you see, oh, who's there? With whom would I like to talk? Is there something to eat, something to see, something nice to experience? Can I go there? Can I take it, wear it, eat it, hold it, marry it, whatever? Yeah, it will, it'll, a very well-documented movement of seeking gratification, seeking experience. If there is no threat to life, if the body states are well taken care of, blood sugar is there, warmth is there, um, then that involuntary attention will turn outward and seek enticement. Besides involuntary attention, we have something called voluntary attention, and that is what Buddhist psychology feels can be trained. Western psychology is, is about to learn that this is actually possible. Uh, received wisdom has had it uh, until fairly recently that this is basically not something that can be trained. It's either given or it's not given, and some people are fortunate to have it and others are unfortunate to have less of it. And it's the great uh, gift of the Indian traditions, yogic and Buddhist, that voluntary attention can be trained. And that's where the Buddha sees much hope for us. He sees that we can focus our intention not by reflex that are geared to self-protection or that are geared to um, gratification of our sensory um, capacities, but that can be trained to actually stay with a chosen object of our experience, that attention can rest and be repeatedly brought back to a chosen process, situation, object of experience. And that with some training we understand more profoundly not just that object or that process, 
but we also understand something about the workings of our mind. So Buddhist psychology has put a lot of effort into helping us to stabilize and investigate voluntary attention. It may be helpful to just look at, um, say, stages of this. If we don't train, if we don't do anything with our mind, our mind will go to the involuntary attentional mode. The strongest sensory impression generally will get my attention. The wheel that squeaks loudest gets the oil. Yeah? So I come in, I see something new, my attention goes to it. Then you come in, my attention goes to you. Then the sound goes off and we wonder, is this an alarm sound or is this a maintenance sound or do we need to take care of this? Then the sound goes off, we return to our conversation. Then somebody else comes up and we turn towards this third person. Then you mention a piece of music and I fantasize a little bit about this piece of music. Somebody drops a piece of paper, we all look down at the piece of paper that you've just dropped. Yeah. So this is very common. We move our attention in a what may seem an organic stream to the respective newest, latest, dominant, or somehow gratification promising event. Yeah. Let's call that stage zero. The attention of the mind simply goes where it feels most promise for gratification. If we sit down on the cushion, if we close our eyes, and if we don't do anything, it is likely that you will continue to follow the train of your thoughts. Now those thoughts may not be about pleasure, they may be about guilt, they may be about anger, they may not be about nice things. Some of us choose to entertain ourselves with not-so-nice things. However, the pattern still holds the most dominant of my inner experiences. If I have no outer sensory impact, generally my attention rests with the inner process, the most dominant of this will get the attention. And like the movie will follow the life story into perspective of the protagonist, the camera will move and depict the, ca- the, the protagonist, the camera of my attention will move generally the dominant sensory input I have, or it will move along the dominant train of thought I have. Yeah? Happy train, sad train, despairing train, gleeful train, compassionate train, it will just move with that. In stage zero, this is what happens. Stage one is when I voluntarily decide to place my attention on a particular object or process, and I get pulled off that time and again. I have made a choice, I have identified an area of my attentional focus, and I try to stay with this, And I notice it's not actually so easy to stay with this. Since our attention is geared to move, it goes against its grain when I ask of it that it stays with one thing, the breath or a body sensation or a conversation you and I are having. My my gaze wants to wander out of the window 
I see birds, I hear outside noises, I smell that the food is getting ready. So I return to our conversation, I return to you, I return to what is happening between us and what we have agreed we're doing now. As a meditator, I'm very familiar with this. I identify an anchor and then I keep returning to the anchor. I call this plan A. Plan A is what I've decided I want to attend to. And plan B is what I do when I find out that I'm not doing what I have agreed with myself in plan A. That's important. So on stage one, I get pulled off, and yet I keep returning. On stage two, my mind's attention stays with some effortlessness with the chosen object. Distractions are still here, but they don't pull me off anymore. They're kind of at the edges, a slight frilling at the edges of my mind, but I can stay with the breath, I can stay with the body, I can stay with the particular recollection. I can stay with my meta-sentences. I'm not distraction-free, but the distractions are now no longer strong enough to seriously pull me off my chosen object of attention. Yeah. So that's already very good. Stage 3 is a change of perspective. Attention in stage 3, and now we can call this happily mindfulness. Uh, even at stage th- 2 we can call this mindfulness if the attention has a flowing quality and has other factors like degree of space and some ethical awareness, then we can call this mindfulness. At stage three, my mindfulness is no longer dependent on a particular object or a particular process I attend to. My mindfulness has now a spacious quality And in that spacious quality, objects and processes arise, take place and cease again. My attentional space, my mindfulness has a kind of field quality. And in that field, differing objects may arise and may cease without the ceasing of the mindfulness, with the ceasing of the object. It has become object independent. So stage zero is the attention just goes with any object that hits the screen. Stage one would be um, struggling for object constancy. I'm staying with the chosen object but I keep getting pulled away from it by various sensory or internal um, events. Stage two I have object constancy. I can actually be with my attentional focus with one thing or one process. Stage three, mindfulness, attentional focus has received or attained a stability in which objects come and go without the mindfulness coming and going with those objects. So this may help with a little orientation. Um, It is often not easy to speak about mindfulness and attention because we keep doing that all the time. And the things we keep doing all the time are uh, sometimes strangely elusive. It is as if 
I imagine fish having a difficult time talking about water. You know, it's so normal. It seems so. Um, we're up so close with it all the time that its particular notions and features and patterns often escape us because we believe it to be so normal. So I trust this will help in your investigation and leave it at that. Thank you.